So, any questions? Yes. Sally doesn't really understand like the difference between Maya in the world, like illusion, and then Shakti of Krishna and Maya. Is there some like difference or how are they like, related? Krishna has different Shaktis, so many different Shaktis. Just like people have Shakti. Shakti means like power, like energy, power, potential, potency, different ways to describe Shakti. So, if we know the Shakti of a person, we know that person. It's like somebody may have Shakti to write books, so you know he's, a, he's an author, he writes books, so you know him by the books. If you know a person's Shakti, then you, you can know a person. Really, you can't know a person very well without his Shakti, but the two are one and different at the same time. So, for example, I have Shakti, and I may do something and you may appreciate it at a distance from me. Just like now I'm speaking, so it's being recorded. So you could take the recording and listen to it, right? And I might be back in California. So that's my Shakti. It's not independent of me, is it? It couldn't exist without me. But it's functioning apparently independent of me. So, amongst Krishna's Shaktis, he has so many Shaktis. One of them is, is, is Maya Shakti. So that Maya Shakti is like separated, like my talk and the tape recorder is separated from me. It appears to be functioning independently of me, but if you look carefully, you see that, oh no, it's not, it's dependent upon me, I'm in the background. So the, the material world, the magic, of the material world, it's pretty magical and mystical actually, that is one of Krishna's Shaktis. So we are also one of Krishna's Shaktis. And if we associate with the Maya Shakti, then we see ourselves to be separate from Krishna. We're not, neither we're independent of Krishna in any way. All of the Shaktis are dependent upon him. So when we see things properly, then we're always in touch with Krishna. Maya means not to see things properly. That's all. Now, I don't know if I've answered your question, but at least the way it was presented, that's the best answer I can give. If you're not satisfied with the answer, then you try to ask your question better. Give me more, more details, what your confusion is. Or is that good enough? Yes. Okay. So, Maya Shakti. Like a shadow. It's like a cloud. There's the sun and sun rays. So, Krishna's like the sun and we're like a ray of the sun. So, the ray of the sun and the sun, they're one, right? But they're different too. It's different to be in the rays of the sun than it is to be in the sun. I mean, 
in the sun. If you went in the sun planet, that would be too intense. But you can stand in the sun rays. So the rays of the sun are one with the sun, but they're different from the sun also. So there's the sun, there's the sun rays, and then there's a the cloud. Where does the cloud come from? It comes from the sun, right? Sun creates a cloud. Water comes from the sun. That's mystical. Water comes from fire. It's mystical. In California, we call it liquid sun when it rains. <laughs> liquid sun. It's also giving food to the plants and life, just like the sun. Another form of sun. So this material world is constantly in transformation. It's mystical, always going on. So anyway, in our analogy, Krishna the sun, we are the ray. And Maya is a cloud that forms. So some of the rays of the sun, like if I put my hand here, some sun is coming through here. There's sun here too. And then there's sun here. You understand? This sun on this side is can see the sun. The sun on this side, it's light in here, but it can't see the sun in here. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I go above, like if you fly in an airplane, you fly above the cloud, you can see the sun everywhere, right? It's everywhere. If you go down below the cloud, it's still light out, so sun is there, but you can't see the sun maybe. Not everywhere, right? If you're beneath the cloud, then you won't see the sun, if the sun's above the cloud. Like on a cloudy day, you can't see the sun. But its effect you can see. So, we're never separate from Krishna, but the cloud of illusion makes it appear as if there's no sun. So, that has to be evaporated. That's the trick. You have to evaporate the cloud of illusion. Then you can see your origin, your source. Then you won't feel lonely. And you won't be looking and searching, what am I about? Why am I? You'll have perfect knowledge, so then you then you know perfectly what to do. We're all looking for perfect knowledge so that our actions can be perfectly informed so that we can achieve what? Perfect happiness. That's perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge means to become perfectly happy. doesn't mean to be have a big brain or know every detail of everything. To be perfectly happy, that's perfect knowledge. So Krishna consciousness is meant to inform us, inform our actions in such a way that our actions make us perfectly happy. And that is, they remove the cloud. And so we can see our source. Because after all, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for what are we, where are we, how are we, how can we survive, and struggling for this all the time, constantly. We're unsettled. We're like children away from home. We don't know our, where, our, where our home is. We're looking. We're all looking for our home. We're looking for love. We cannot rest until we find love. As soon as you break up, a little while after, start looking again. Find another one. Everyone's looking for love. No one can rest until they find their love. So, the same time when you find their love, then there's no rest either. 
But that's another kind of movement, dancing, and it's exciting. So, Krishna is like that. When you find Krishna, you find perfect love, then there's another kind of movement. We call that Leela. That's different than karma. The movement under karma is obligatory. We have to move. Why do we have to move? Because we're in debt. When you're in debt, you've got to do something about it. Karma means we have taken, so now we owe. So off to work we go. We've taken. We're all exploiting the world. We all have perceived necessities. Where do they come from? You see? If you want something, then you're not satisfied, right? Because you have a want. You have a need. You have a, so you're not full. So we all have so many wants, so many desires, so we're not full. So when you have needs, then you take. You're a taker instead of a giver. And love is about giving, not about taking. So we've got to overcome the taking. And that means we have to overcome the illusion that what I am is this body, because I'm not. fact is I'm giving myself to the body, but not getting much in return. It's turned me into a taker. So we're unsettled this way, and we're not comfortable. Our actions, as much as we're moving, are not well informed. We're not getting the desired result. So, yoga, Krishna consciousness, is, is for the purpose of in, informing our action so that we can get the desired result. We can, we can overcome the illusory identification with the body, mind, then we're no longer a taker, so we can be a giver, and we can be happy. Pretty simple idea. Everyone wants to love, to be happy, to love and be loved. That's all. That's where we do everything for that purpose. Everything. All that effort. But Krishna consciousness says, it makes a simple point to us only. All that effort, but try just one thing. Change the object and tries to present to us the perfect object of love. That is what Krishna means. It's simple. I mean, you, you can think about it any way you want, but it means the perfect object of love. It means the center. That place where giving, everything will be nourished. Where is that place in your body? Where is that one place on your body that if you give energy, the whole body will be nourished? Like food is energy, right? So what place where you put it? We put it on your head? That won't nourish your whole body. You have to put it inside your stomach. Right? It's mystical. When you take this food, you put it in the stomach, right? It goes to one place, to the stomach. But the stomach mystically distributes it everywhere in the body. The whole body becomes nourished. So similarly, God is, Krishna is that center, that place where giving yourself you'll be completely nourished. And everyone will be nourished. In other words, if everybody could give in this one place, Krishna's like the big stomach. That's why he's always eating. So many temples, he's always asking for more. 
He's a big stomach. <laughs> if everybody gives to the right center, then everybody can live harmoniously. But we're creating Maya, that cloud means to create so many separate centers. Now we're reading the world through our senses. We look, we hear, we smell, we touch, we taste, and we get some impression. Some impression comes through the senses. Some smell, some, hey, what is it? We're looking out, what it, where are we? What is it we're in, involved with, and so forth. So through the senses we get these impressions. The impression goes to the mind, and the mind makes a determination about that impression. What, what is the basic determination the mind makes? Tadia? Who can say? Good, bad. Right, good, bad. I like this. I don't like that. You smell something, goes to your mind, that message. Mind says, I like that. You taste something, get a message, goes to the mind, the mind says, I don't like that. This is what we're doing all the time. We're sending messages through our senses to the mind. Like, what's out there? And we have these instruments that we are researching this cautiously. And these instruments are bringing back data, like that Mars rover, you know, they send a thing to the Mars and it's roving around and they're getting these impulses back and information and then they're, they're determining, was there any water on Mars? If so, when? And so, so we're like that, we're like a Mars rover, here we are, you know, where are we? We're trying to sort it all out. And here in the central computer of the mind, all the data is coming in. Then we're making determinations. So, I make a determination. I like this. I'd like him. I don't like him. Okay. <laughs> or, he's okay. I don't like him. I like her. That's hot. That's cold. This is good. That's bad. So, what happens is a world is being created in my head of goods, bads, happies, sads, all these, this is a reading of the world. We're making a judgment on the world based on the input of the senses and the function of the mind to like decipher that. People say, don't be judgmental. This is really what it means. Don't impose your intellect on the environment. It's not what you think it is. In other words, you tell me. Are you cold? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm hot. So, is it hot out or is it cold out? Yeah. In other words, the world of your mind says it's cold. The world of my mind says it's hot. So, which is it? His says it's cold. His says it's hot. It's neither one of these. Those are only the reading of our particular mind. But obviously, while your mind has one reading, my mind has another reading, somebody else's mind has another reading. So the conclusion is that these minds aren't reading accurately. Somebody's wrong. <laughs> it can't be both. Maybe it's neither. So the, then the issue comes, well, if we can't get an accurate reading of what the nature of being is, the nature of reality is, through these instruments of the senses in the mind, is there any other way to get a reading? 
that would be more accurate. That's what yoga is about. How to get a different reading, a different way of reading, rather than relying upon the senses and the mind. Therefore, we engage in transrational exercises, like this chanting. It's a transrational exercise. Some powerful spiritual sound, like name of God, you vibrate that, and gradually you start to read the world in a different way. What, how are you reading? Rather than through the filter of the mind, you start to experience the fact that, hey, wait a minute, it's not because I have a mind that I can know. It's not because I have eyes that I can see. I'm the seer. I'm the knower. What am I? I'm consciousness, not matter. Matter is experienced. I'm the experiencer. Which is superior? Which is superior, the driver or the car? The car has no meaning without, meaning without the driver. The television has no meaning without the viewer. You have to turn it on. So consciousness is superior to matter. This is the basic idea. So when we do yoga, then that what happens is, instead of going out like this with the senses to get information, to relay it to the mind, to make a determination, we go in instead of going out. We take that same energy and go inside. And the result is, what? That this self comes out. We call consciousness or soul. It starts to come out. It's really the seer. It's really the experiencer, the witness. But we're thinking our eyes are the seer. Like, it's, it's not my, my glasses can't see. It's my eyes that can see. But deeper than that, it's because I'm inside here, a conscious being, that these eyes are functioning in the first place. So to bring out yourself, out from underneath the mind, we're like, you know, like peeping through the fence trying to figure out what's out there. And yoga's like, that means take the fence down, the fence of the mind. And take some time. If you can understand the theory, you get inspired, then you take the practice. Gradually, you start to see. Just like if I have blue glasses on, blue tinted glasses, what color will the world appear to me? Everything will be blue, right? Now, if you have pink glasses on, you'll see everything pink. Is it blue or is it pink? If we take the glasses off, we'll see there's blue, there's pink, there's yellow, there's red, so many colors, right? So our senses, our instruments for reading like this, they're giving us an imperfect picture. So how to get a perfect picture, how to come out from me, that's what, you, underneath that, that's what yoga is about. We think basically that by acquiring things, our life will become more comfortable. By acquiring things, our life will become more comfortable. But what we find is rather than being active, with the senses for acquiring, if we sit down and think deeply, we may find more peace in that activity than by acquiring. In fact, people acquire and acquire and acquire and then they, just, they have no peace. My point is that whenever you shut down the senses, and to whatever extent you shut them down, as you shut down the senses, what happens? The mental faculty becomes more active even by force. Like if someone's t tortured, 
They capture you and they torture you. How do you live? You go beyond the sense. You have to go inside the world of the mind. You have to philosophize and think in there and so forth. So when the senses get shut down and the, and the mind starts to become more active, just like when you go to sleep at night, the senses, the physical senses close down, the mind is active in the world of dream and so forth. And so many possibilities are in there that aren't possible in the physical world. So what I'm saying is that the psychic dimension of our human experience is more subtle and spacious than the physical dimension. So as we move from the gross reading of the world to the psychic realm, it gets more spacious. And the Gita says what? Indriyani parani ahur indriyabhya paramanaha. There's the objects of the senses, there's the senses, there's the mind, there's intellect, and there's you above it all. So I'm just saying as we move away from that outward reach to the senses for understanding, we start to come closer to the self. To think deeply, you have to sit in a quiet place and kind of turn off the senses. And where do you go? You go to a bigger space. And it's more accommodating. Think about it. What makes you peaceful is, your, is the thoughts that you have more than the things that you have. And what's most accommodating? Affection. The realm of the heart. If two people are in love, then the whole city can burn down and stand on the mountaintop and just watch it. And it's just no problem. Two people in love. They can live in a closet. Doesn't matter. As long as we have one another, everything's all right. See, the realm of the heart is so spacious. How spacious? Not just room. Mind gives room. And that way it's more spacious than the physical realm. Like, okay, now look at everything here. There's one, two chairs. There's so many cushions. There's so many people. Now, if I ask you to take this with you in one trip, pick everything up and take it in the house, no one can do that. Pick up all the people, all the children, all the cushions, all the chairs and take it in the house. But now if I ask you, okay, take it in your mind, that'd be possible. You could think of everything, memorize it, and take it into the house, right? So mind is more spacious. Above the mind is intellect. It's even more spacious, more room. But above all that is the heart. It's accommodating because there's affection. Affection is more than space. You think of Brahman as like unlimited space, and you think of Goloka as localized, but Brahman fits inside Goloka. <laughs> there's more room there. It's affection. The realm of the heart is most spacious, most accommodating. This yoga is for going there, bringing out the heart, the self. The world of the senses is not friendly. Everyone is on the take. There's the hunters and hunted. So, there's love we want, how to get it. Now we're doing work, obligatory work, that's karma. Leela, that is another thing. It looks similar, but it's play. And there's so much power in that play. In our work, there's no power in karma. We're only going into debt all the time. 
So, what else? Yes. Um, so that you understand my question, right? What I'm asking is, before I joined, okay, I was really young, but still, I think I was quite sincere. I used to go to Finnish forests, and I was alone there shouting, the sky. I mean, regular base. That God, if you are there, where are you? And I used to have that regular practice before I read Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. And then I joined the movement. And this mystery, what I was answered, was that the only way you can meet God is, or why we don't see Him, is because we don't want Him. We desire other things. And, okay, I was young, but at least I felt myself that that moment, it was really only thing I wanted. So is it that maybe we don't even, can't really see what we desire? That in our mind we might even think that this is what I want, but it's not actually what we want. Well, it's often mixed. You have to understand that we are our desires. Materially speaking, that's what we are. Our attachments, they make up what we are. Our heart is a bundle of attachments and that's our whole identity. Our sense of my determines our sense of I. Do you follow me? Yeah. So what I think I am, I, that depends on my sense of my, what's mine. It's my house, it's my car, it's my wife, it's my children, my country, and you add all those things up, that's what I am, materially speaking. So, in the midst of all of that, that identity, which is a fleeting kind of identity because my mys, my attachments change. So this identity of, that I have, it, it's in flux. That's why it's like, I'm feeling like a little out of place. I'm not quite settled. Everybody's like that. To one extent or another, not quite settled. Some moments it feels like I'm really settled, but my mys, my desires, they change, my attachments, my identity's changing. So it's kind of disconcerting. It's like the floor's always moving, and I'm trying to like just stand still. You know, it's like the boat, it's rocking. I'm getting a little seasick here. It just keeps rocking. It stops for a little while, but then it goes again. So the floor is moving. This is the problem. I want to have some stable ground to stand on. Everyone's looking for that place to put their stakes down and it's my place and I'm going to have control of this. It's not going to move on me. But that experience is really eludes us in this life. So in the midst of all of this then, somebody says, help, this is like madness. I'm getting seasick here. There's just no end to it. So we look beyond what's within our immediate and material capacity to remedy the situation. We yell out in the middle of the Finnish forest in the sky, God, help me out if you're there. Like, you know, strike me with a bolt of lightning or, or something. I was really ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, then, okay, so then something comes. So you get some insight and you find yourself reading the Bhagavad Gita and wow, there's so many answers and so forth and so on. And you're sincere about that. But at the same time, 
that identity based on your mys, it didn't just go away either. You're not happy with it. It's not a good fit. But it didn't just disappear. Like, if I give you the key, you know, there you go. Here's the key. But you still got to open the door, right? So, in those moments where we really reach out, you pray and so forth, and, and this is transrational, like I said. This is like you're looking for help from beyond. Something will come, for sure. It will come. You'll get good insight and, and so forth. But then, our conditioning in our sense of I is it's really strong. It's you know it's been carrying on for lifetimes. The desires we have they, they stay in our mind, take us into the next body and so forth. We've got Im impressions, some scars and tendencies. And so to unravel this I, it's a bit of a task. It doesn't happen overnight. So we apply ourselves, and we apply ourselves to some extent as much as we've understood what, like, say, Bhagavad Gita says. You read it, and wow, and on some level you understood it. There's no doubt about that. And on that level you applied yourself. But there may be many things you didn't understand in there, or on a deeper level there's more to it, and so forth. So it takes some time. And um, this is not going to happen overnight. And at the same time, impediments come. I'm sorry, but that's just part of the world, you know. They're false teachers. Doesn't mean there's no true teacher. It, all the more it means. You can't have a false teacher unless there's a true teacher, right? So, somebody like you picked up the Bhagavad Gita, read it a little faster, decided he could teach it. Maybe he doesn't know it very well either. Hmm? <laughs> so, there you are, you're listening to him, you know. And then, and he realizes he doesn't understand a thing either, and and he puts it down, and then you're left like, well, what do I do now? Something like that. That happens. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just... It, it, had to, it didn't change the fact that you realize at a certain point, the only thing to do here is to scream out to the sky. I mean, you, you had that insight. Like, that hasn't changed. There's no other solution. You're not going to be... No matter how you, like, tweak your life or adjust it, you know, it's... You're not going to find that, like real stable ground to stand on. Because the fact is, you're not the body. Your consciousness and bodies matter. You're the experiencer, body is experienced. Two are not the same. So, by good association, then, that insight, that, you know, intensity with which you, like, cried out into the sky, that can come again. The sense of the value—that's a simple thing. I mean, it really—that's all that Krishna consciousness is really about. But you've got to kind of keep it up, keep crying, so to speak. That unravels this false identity slowly, and another identity starts to develop. So it takes time, and there are impediments. Things come and get in the way. But how did you feel when you first read the Bhagavad Gita? Right. So you got something. You got something. Even though you didn't understand the thing entirely, you got so much out of it. And where did it come from? The ability to get when you go, wow, I got a lot of that. The ability to get that came from what? From that crying in the sky. That's where it comes from. My best friend gave it to me. 
I known him since four years old, and he said this is the worst sheet I ever read. <laughs> 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 so ironical. There you go. Some kind of Beatles thing. <laughs> George Harrison was into it too. Because <laughs> I was into Beatles that time. Uh-huh. Then he sees the same book, I start to shame. And <laughs> so ironic. Yeah. So really, what I'm saying though is that that sense that of necessity, I need help, that's a sign of good health. And when you, when you really feel like that, the more you really feel like that, the more help is going to come. It's going to come. More than you can take, practically. So when a person's in that space and then gets the Bhagavad Gita, just like, wow, just like... So you need to adjust your life to be in an environment that will always keep you on in, the, in that teachable moment. Like, I'm ready to learn now. I'm, a, I'm ready to be a, a student. That's the art of yoga. That's where you want to be. Then it keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. But what happens is we, we have that false identity and we get, a, we get some reality, a dose of reality, and that feels really, really great, but we didn't quite give up the false identity either. So what we've done is like we've added some truth to our life, but not enough still living in falsity to some extent, but it's more bearable. At least I got a head full of knowledge now. I think I'm different than I can think. I can do something and it's it's miserable, but I can think anyway. I'm not the body. So it gets some kind of intellectual relief and so forth, but not any really permanent lasting relief. It's not easy, Cardam, you know. It's hard, I tell you. I've faced a lot of obstacles too. I know that you have. It's not easy, but that's why we get together like this because there's strength in, in, in this. Other people all are trying for the same thing. We're a rare breed. People who could be touched by the Bhagavad Gita like that, people who could go in the Finnish forest and forest and yell out in the sky. I mean, there's not a lot of people like that. <laughs> there's not a lot. So you try to, try to always keep in touch with people like that, people you know that if you're not screaming, at least they are. Keep in touch with them. That's what, it, that's what it takes. And then, you know, unfortunately, there are, like I said, there are cheaters too. Or there, it happens. That people also try, they become a little confused. They, they need a good association, they don't realize it. They set themselves up to be a teacher and they're not qualified, and that becomes a problem. That happens. But I mean, you have to think what were you trying for? Such a high thing. Is it going to come easily? with no obstacles? No, there will be obstacles, but we should have that kind of spirit. I want that high thing somehow or other. Yes? Well, that might be the Christian background. Because there it was always marketing. That you should go in the forest and (laughs) yell? (laughs) I mean, that the father, he just believed that he's there and he go to paradise. I never spoke about the illusion. Oh, that it would be easy, you mean? Yeah, I even went with one of my girlfriends to Billy Graham's preaching and she dragged me down uh, to the stadium, Helsinki Olympic Stadium. And then Billy was like this and people were falling all around me. 
and nothing happened to me. And I was so frustrated because they looked so happy when they they cried and rolling the ground, and I was there like, what's happening? It was raining. They were in a wet football grass. And then after that, there came a guy with the paper that you fill out your name and address, and you want now you got the fake, so we can send you publicity. And I was just standing there in the rain, like, am I now born again? <laughs> what happened to your girlfriend? No, she was already born again. Yeah, she wanted well, if my really personality was she didn't want to have sex with the person who wasn't born again. So right. I was like sixteen that time. It's really when I look back it's like what's this problem? She had a kind of her own adjustment to the <laughs> their faith. Uh -huh. was a born again one. She but I didn't fail. So, <laughs> <laughs> the genuine born again. Uh -huh. But actually, I was serious there too. But maybe this is the way hand God mm -hmm. gives His hand. But I didn't fail. Mm -hmm. I really would like to know what happened to these other people. Like, it's hard people to say. Look like they didn't look like drug addicts. Like people who work in the office, mm -hmm. and they just fell. Yeah. They were crying and I'm like, what's going on here? Well, people have what we call sukriti, different types of... That sounds so easy. Mm. I mean, you go to this football stadium you, and then all your sins are washed and you go to heaven and, yeah, let's have some sausages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people will be attracted to different religious conceptions based on their psychology. Their psychology is formed by actions they've perform the previous lives. So everyone has a particular psychology. It's a kind of a s subtle, you know, form of the self with attractors to Billy Graham and sausages or or Krishna and Pakoras, you know, so you're lucky. You're lucky you didn't fell. <laughs> he stood up to Billy Graham. He's a popular guy, huh? What else? Hmm. Talking about Christianity, I was talking to Christian a while ago, and he was, uh, I don't know what the real word for it is, but he was talking about how Jesus cured all these ill people, uh -huh. their diseases. He was asking me uh, if that was an important part of, of, of my religion, as he said. Getting healed. Yeah, because yeah, he said that to him that was like, Confirming his religion. The miracles. Yeah, the miracles. We just go to the doctor. <laughs> it's easier. No, no doubts. Yeah. We consider everything's a miracle. Life's a miracle. You don't need any separate independent miracle. Life's miraculous. As I said the other day, how a thousand mangoes can be in one tiny little seed. You like mango? Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, but you have a, th a thousand mangoes in one seed, right? It's mystical, isn't it? Think about it, it's just mystical. If you didn't know that, and I told you there's a, here, here eat this mango, you like it? Oh yeah. So there's a thousand of them in this little seed. You'd laugh at me. you think I'm crazy. But you have the experience, so it seems normal. 
Everything about life is mystical, miraculous and wonderful. But we become accustomed to certain miracles and so we dismiss them. We don't think of them as such. Then something happens that we don't have experience of, we call it a miracle. There are subtle ways to do things and there are gross ways to do things. So There are ways of healing like that that would appear mystical. But they're not really any more mystical than modern medicine, really, in a sense. It's quite mysterious, too. If you were to show that to some Aborigines people, you just put a pill in the mouth and headache goes away. Wow, is it mysterious? So these are not really compelling reasons to get involved with a tradition. Therefore, we downplay that. Let people be educated. Let them come for with understanding and a well-reasoned uh, spiritual path. But yeah, people like that. Miracles. Devotees like to. They find it confirming, but real, real confirmation is your own spiritual experience. What else? This is a kind of silly question I'll ask anyone. This sannyas danda, it's called a tree danda. It's going to look like it's four sticks. Yeah, it is. They say body, mind, words, what, atma? The jiva. People say different things. They say it's one, two, three, like that. Or they say it's three, but the Vaishnavas add one for the jiva. And the jiva danda is shorter. See? Kind of like paying obeisances even to the body, mind, and words. So that the body, mind, and words don't use it, but it uses them. Something like that. Different, different explanations. Hmm. What else? Yes? experience a while ago where I was like attacked I mean with words by someone and he was quite um, and took it quite hard and and felt quite bad about it and then I started wondering if I had done some offense uh, so that and this was the result of that and we were debating and debating with Kamalakshan whether that would be possible that an offense like what was it? He forgot to fast or some day when we fast day and then we were wondering if it would be possible that that could create such a reaction because at the same time we think that Krishna wouldn't want to it's very difficult for a devotee to make a mistake because devotee means a person whose heart is in the right place. As much as your heart is in the right place, it's very difficult to make a mistake. Even if you make a mistake, ostensibly, outwardly, it can't be taken seriously because your heart's in the right place. So. That's what I was saying the other day, that in the karma marg, all the details are really important. If you make one mistake in the detail in the sacrifice, you won't get the result. In the bhakti marg, at the other end, you can make all mistakes and get the result. 
though the heart's in the right place. So, devotee means whose heart is in the right place. Sadhureva samantavya therefore Krishna samyad vyabasito hisa apichet sutarachro bhajite mamanonyabhak That's the idea. Heart's in the right place. You really can't, really can't make a mistake. It's difficult. So, Of course, there are offenses that can be made. Hmm, that's It's possible. But the reactions for offenses, they are such that they're like sins of the soul, so they become impediments to the soul's progress. They're more internal than appearing outside. Sometimes it can happen that they'll also make an outward appearance. Like, in the worst way, one fellow, Gopal, made offense to Srivast Thakur at the time of Mahaprabhu. He got, he got leprosy. One Brahmin offended Thakur Haridas, got leprosy. This is make some very kind of prominent statement. This is not generally the, what happens. What happens is, is that is your capacity to hear, to chant, and so to practice. Some blockages there, like become more difficult to control your mind or senses. If offenses can work like this, so we should avoid them. But because you forgot to fast on the codice or break it at the right time. It's, it's not that you walk down the street and something happens to you and that's, that's why it happened. You can kind of get a little superstitious like that. In one sense, it's, there's no harm think like that. best thing to think is when, when things happen to you that are disconcerting, people say something to you, you think, you know, is there anything in that, anything in that at all that was true? Anything at all? Maybe not. If you really look hard, you could probably find something. And then you, you appreciate that person. Hard to do, but... You may think in a simple way, oh, this, overall, this is... Because I am the way I am, these things are happening to me. Krishna is sending this person to chastise me, to just to ridicule me and be mean to me. Here I was studying, trying to do nicely, passed my exam, and this fellow just did this. So you can, you should think, yeah, opportunity to be tolerant. But not always, sometimes you've got to speak back also. If you don't, then he will. Your other half, make some response. So don't get too caught up in, in that it may make you a little dysfunctional in how you relate to people and, and whatnot. People do bad things sometimes, it's coming from them. Everyone's offensive in this world. That's what the bodily conception of life is. It's kind of offensive. It's an embarrassment to the soul. You can't avoid making offenses. Practically impossible. I mean, by bhakti then, we can be successful in that, ultimately. But So people are offensive. That, that happens. They're mean. In a general way, we may think, well, it's coming, something I've done somewhere, sometime in the past. So I'll tolerate it. That's a good attitude. Don't get plugged into it. It's his problem. But that only goes so far. Sometimes you have to defend yourself, too. People say all kinds of things. Somebody just wrote something on the Internet about me. So I think about it. Any, any good advice there? 
hard to find much. You realize, well, everyone has the opportunity to make offenses. Some people do that. It's not necessarily your fault. Does that help? <laughs>